Good morning. Good morning to those that are tuning in online as well. Um, <laughs> I was just sitting over there in that chair, and when that ring announcement was made, I got to looking at my hand and looked around and saw a few others looking at their hand. <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny. I make... I have that accident pretty often myself, so. Well, I am excited to, um, I was asked by Brian to continue this section of um, this Luke series. Um, Luke, as Brian probably mentioned already, is one of my most favorite gospels to, to read from because Luke, to me, he does a very good job at journeying us through the the life and ministry of Jesus all the way from pre-birth up until post-death. Luke would include many, many details that other writers would leave out. I think it hits home for me because I am that kind of storyteller. I am not a cut-to-the-chase kind of person. I need to be able to give you the details on what led up to it and then what happened and then what ended up happening after the fact. And we see Luke um, take that approach throughout his writing. Well, today we're going to get to Luke chapter 8. Um, Luke eight twenty six all the way through 9, chapter 9, verse 16 approximately, where Jesus, by this point, he... He teaches this phenomenal lesson on, on seeds, as, as Brian would preach on last week. And he and his disciples, they get on this boat and they head to the other side. And we'll talk about the other side a little bit later in this lesson. But before I go on, I want to pause and point out some things. The disciples... Up until this very point, at least in chapter 8 of Luke, they've been observing a lot. It's like they had just been taking everything in. They had heard many teachings from Jesus by this point. They had learned many lessons by this point. They had seen many miracles by this point. But they still seem to be some behind-the-scene type of people, if you will. For the most part, they've been spectators of what Jesus had to say, what he had to teach, and what he did. They were spectators, or much of their faith, it probably wasn't solidified by the middle of of chapter 8. And here's why I state that. Because uh, after being witnesses to all that has taken place up until this point. After being witnesses of everything that Jesus taught and did and observed, they observed in this ministry, even after this miracle we talked about on last week of Jesus calming the storm, silencing the storm, these men, they still have a question. They still have a question. And that question is what we're going to deal with on today. Who is this man? Who is this man? 
they ask. Well, on today, I have the privilege to journey with you all through this question. I think this particular section that that I've been assigned is the perfect section to be used in order to answer this question that they had. And so I hope that there is someone today in the audience who who have wondered this same thought or who have asked this question aloud, who is this Jesus? And I hope that today that you're convinced what these men have become convinced of by the end. Let's look at Luke chapter 8, verses 26 through 33. Luke tells us that they sailed to the country of the Gerasene, which is opposite Galilee. And when he came out onto the land, he was met by a man from the city who was possessed with demons and who had not put on any clothing for a long time and was not living in a house but in a tomb. But seeing Jesus, he he cried out and fell before him and said in a loud voice, What business do we have with each other, Jesus? Son of the Most High God, I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For it had seized him many times, and he was bound with chains and shackles and kept under guard. And yet he would break his bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. desert. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. And they were imploring him to not command them to go away into the abyss. Now there was a herd of many swine feeding there, on the mountain, and the demons implored him to permit them to enter the swine, and he gave them permission. And the demons came out of the man and entered the swine, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into a lake and was drowned. Who is this man? I think the first thing they would have noticed about Jesus in this moment, in this setting, that Jesus was an anomaly. An anomaly is anyone or anything that is willing to deviate from what culture defined as normal. Well, here's what was normal to first century culture anyway. Remember that phrase, the other side, Luke would mention it here in in verse 22, but this other side was territory that the Jews, they didn't tread on. This other side was was said to be dangerous. This other side was said to be unclean. This other side was said to to be a place where wicked and, and rebellious people roamed. And to top it all off, Jesus, as he steps out on the boat, on land, he's stepping on cemetery. These men watching and following him, they they must have been terrified at this point. Their their religious alarms must have been ringing as this naked and possessed man fall 
before him. But Jesus, but Jesus. Man, that's a phrase that that just catches my breath because Jesus was willing to deviate from the norm. We sing of this song, um, Reckless Love. I think it's by Corey Asbury, that, that there's no shadow that he won't light up, no mountain that he won't climb up, no walls that he's not willing to kick down, no lie he's not willing to tear down when it's in pursuit of us. Man, what a perfect, perfect story and example of that love and that willingness displayed here. You see, Jesus was willing to to cross all boundaries. He was willing to tread all territories. He was willing to step into forbidding territories in order to rescue the suffering soul. I want to be careful when I say what I'm about to say because I know that it's sensitive or can be and tender for for many people. But I've witnessed prison ministry. And I've witnessed prisoners who had received Jesus Christ filled with joy, filled with reverence for the Lord. These were people who were once told nobody wants to deal with you and once told that they were hated, that all that they deserved was a, was a cell in a, in, a, in, a, in a prison. And I'd be lying if I say I've never felt that way about a person. But people or a person was willing to deviate from that mindset, that attitude, and offer hope. Feel empty and evil hearts with love and joy. That's what I see in this story. At this point, what do you think the disciples are seeing as they witness this? What do you think the disciples think of Jesus as they Witnesses, Maybe they felt a sense of courage. I'll tell you a story. It was May of 2002. I was headed to my fifth grade graduation. And we were late for my graduation that day because my mom wanted to stop and get me some better dress shoes. Well, this man was in the shoe store on that day and he must have saw that I was dressed up and he asked me where are you headed I said well I'm headed to my fifth grade graduation I'm going off into middle school well this man had a story for me as a concerned middle school he said that middle school would be filled with with big and scarier kids He said that bullies were going to be running rapid, that it was totally different than what you were used to, (laughs) seriously, in, in, in elementary school. Well, I'm on my way to my graduation. I'm, I'm afraid. I'm afraid of the next chapter in my life. 
This man crushed my dreams. He, he ruined my summer as I was preparing to go to middle school. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> well, I remember starting school that year. And I remember the first day of school that there were older students who had already knew my name. There were staff, teachers, who already knew my name. It wasn't because of anything that I had done, but it was because of my older brother. You see, he had set a reputation, and a not-so-good reputation, but everybody else knew not to touch that kid. Well, I wonder if the disciples felt that in this moment. Man, demons fear Jesus. Man, darkness and all of these evil things, they bow down to Jesus. And I get to walk in his name. What about you? How do you feel about Jesus this morning after this story? You yourself, in your own situations, in your own trials in life, do you know that Jesus is willing to cross any boundaries for you? Do you know that Jesus is willing to go into any territories for you. Maybe you've wondered, would he understand my situation? Maybe you've wondered, am I too tough or am I too broken in order to be fixed? Is my world too dark to step inside of? Maybe you are from the other side of normal. The side that culture does not accept. The side where things were a bit rougher, circumstances and situations were a bit harder in life. Whatever your case may be, I want to speak to you when I say these words. There is nowhere Jesus is not willing to go on your behalf. There is no darkness that is dark enough for Jesus to not step in concerning you. There is no womb too great or too deep for Jesus concerning you. No situation tough enough to stand against Jesus and no struggle that is strong enough when it concerns you. Who is this man? Who is this man? They wondered. Luke chapter 8, verses 40 through 56. Tells us the story. As Jesus returned, the people welcomed him. For they had been waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, and he was an official of the synagogue. And he fell at Jesus' feet and began to implore him to come to his house. For he had an only daughter about 12 years old, and she was dying. 
But as he went, the crowds were, the crowds were pressing against him. And a woman who had hemorrhage for 12 years and could not, could not be healed by anyone came up behind him and touched the fringe of his cloak. And immediately her hemorrhage stopped. And Jesus said, who is the one who touched me? And while they were all denying it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone did touch me, for I was aware that power had gone out of me. And when the woman saw that she had not escaped notice, she came trembling and fell down before him and declared in the presence of all the people the reason why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone came from the house of the synagogue official saying, your daughter has died. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But when Jesus heard him, he, he answered him, do not be afraid any longer. Only believe and she will be made well. And when he came to the house, he did not allow anyone to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the girl's father and mother. Now they were all weeping and lamenting for her, but he said, stop weeping for she has not died, but is asleep. And they began laughing at him, knowing that she had died. He, however, took her by the hand and called, saying, child, arise. And her spirit returned And she got up immediately and gave orders for something to be given to her to eat. Her parents were amazed, but he instructed them to tell no one what had happened. Jesus is an extreme solutionist. You all should have saw me and Ruby, my wife, trying to come up with a word that could fit this characteristic of him. An extreme solution is is somebody who can fix any problem. No matter how overwhelming, no matter how difficult it is, it is a person that can handle it. It is a gift. I don't know how many other parents are in here today, but if you're a parent of a very young child, you've probably saw the movie Encanto. Well, Louisa would be an example of an extreme solutionist, but she got overwhelmed. Life became too difficult for her. But you ever notice Jesus here being surrounded by many people, by by a crowd with countless requests, probably? He seems to handle two big issues at one time. He didn't seem to to get overwhelmed or or put it on tomorrow's to-do list. But every issue seemed to have gotten addressed. I couldn't help but to think about the ministry that we're currently involved in at the children's home. How when I'm extremely busy or having a conversation with another person, the kids come up and they want to call your name, call your name, call your name. And I have to respond with, don't you see me doing something? Don't you see I'm busy working on something? Don't you see me talking to somebody else? But Jesus, he doesn't deny anybody. He's an extreme solutionist. He can handle any need, able to give time and attention to each 
as needed. He didn't come off as as too busy, considering the fact that he only had three years to accomplish the world. But he seems patient and loving. I love the story of this 12-year-old. Jesus and Jesus being in the home of this family. Had you ever thought about that? We got a friend here who's a doctor, um, and he's our family doctor as well. And I remember Ruby being real nervous about our family doctor being a friend. And so in our first visit with him, she, we got this consultation, and he let us know of the Privacy Act and all of those things. But it felt good to know that I could have my doctor friend in my home if I needed him. It felt good to know that my doctor friend could have me in his home if he needed him. But Jairus here, he has the doctor, the healer in his home ministering to him. What a pleasant experience that must have been for this family. Well, how would the disciples interpret this as they witnessed it? What could they have thought of Jesus in these moments as well? Do you think that they realize in this moment that all matters, all issues are important to Jesus, whether it be the life of a a 12-year-old who suddenly passed away or the life of a woman who's been suffering for 12 years. It didn't matter. It didn't matter to Jesus. What does it say to you? What do you interpret about Jesus? Or what do you hear about Jesus in this section? Well, I got a few things that I'd like to propose. One of them is Jesus always has time for you. There is no concern more important than the other when it comes to you. You see, he wants to know you. He wants to know your concerns so that he could care for you. Who is this man? They wondered. Who is this man? Well, I'm sure they could see that he's an anomaly. I'm sure they've realized that he's an extreme solutionist. But as our section, as it draws to an end, and his answer becomes clearer and clearer to them, Jesus would flip the script. It's almost the disciples, they go from behind the scene to front and center. Let's look at chapter 9. As Jesus gives them the talk of taking on the task that he's been showing them all along. And what a task it appears to be. I'll just paraphrase verses 1 through 5 
of chapter 9. He, he sends these 12 men out to, to teach. He sends them out to heal, and he instructs them to travel light, basically. They didn't need to take any money with them. They didn't need to take any food or, or weapons or excessive clothing with them. And if they are welcome, they are welcome. And if they were not welcome, then they were told by Jesus to just leave. But have you ever read that and wondered why these instructions? Well, in my study, I've, I've come up with two reasons these things would have probably been in place. Reason number one is because vulnerability, it creates passion. It is easy to preach and, and teach and serve in a ministry when things are well, when you got a little money in your pocket and got food at home on the table that you could always go to. It's easy to scream to oppress people to endure when you're not going through anything of your own selves. But the true test of faith, I think Jesus is trying to get them to see here, is that when you can declare the kingdom of God even when you are completely without. You see, that's the truest test there. That is what people want to see and to hear. How do you struggle? How do you get through struggles? And the other reason for these instructions is because these would have been people that these guys were, would be preaching to, poor people, people that are without. What sense does it make you coming in with dressed up and nice things and you got it all together when your listeners are falling apart? I think Jesus is instructing them to be amongst your people. Well, he also says that some will welcome you and some won't. And when they don't, keep it moving. But we get to our last section here and we continue to ponder this question, who is this man? And we come to find our last section that Jesus, he's just relentless. Let's look at verse 11 of chapter 9 through 17. It says, But the crowds were aware of this and followed him and welcoming them. He began speaking to them about the kingdom of God and curing those who had need of healing. Now the day was ending, and the twelve came and said to him, Send the crowd away, that they may go into the surrounding villages and countryside and find lodging and get something to eat. For here we are in a desolate place. But he said to them, you give them something to eat. And they said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish unless perhaps we go and buy food for all these people. For there were about 5,000 men. And he said to his disciples, have them sit down and eat in groups of about 50 each. And they did so and had them sit and had them all sit down. Then he took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed it and broke them and kept giving them to the disciples to set before the people. And they all ate and were all satisfied. And the broken pieces which they had left over were picked up, twelve baskets full. 
Wow. Look at verse 12 with me. The last part of verse 12. For we are in a desolate place. Desolate place being an empty place, a lonely place, an abandoned place. There's clearly, Jesus, no food here. There is clearly, Jesus, no lodging here. There is absolutely nothing here. It looks as though these 12 men, these disciples, they cared about the crowd and their appetite. But Jesus seems to be teaching them that care in ministry is a willingness to take a step further by him telling them, you give. In other words, they are, they're your responsibility. And he shows them in very little, God is able to do much. Just because we, we have very little doesn't mean God cannot use that to fulfill much. Or even just because we are in desolate situations. Maybe we don't have things together. Maybe we don't have emotions together. Maybe we are without. Maybe we are struggling ourselves behind on bills, maybe. Whatever the case may be, none of these things seems to be a reason to push others' burdens who are desperately in need of light aside or away. I told my friend yesterday I'm going to speak about them in this part because this reminds me of her. When our son was battling cancer, this friend of ours, we journeyed to her house periodically and go over for a meal. She'd cook for us breakfast, lunch, and dinner. We'd go there to be refreshed. We'd go there to be entertained and have a good time. Her house oftentimes took my mind off of what we were going through with our son. Well, this lady, she texted us or called us one day, and she said to us, I'm, I'm sorry that I've not been able to be there for you all like I would have wanted to be there. And we were so confused, and, and we assured her that, yes, you have done a lot for us. You've done X, Y, and Z for us, in fact. Well, she went on to say that during that battle with cancer our son had, she too was going through something. She was going through a divorce which caused a lot of financial stress for her. It caused a lot of emotional stress for her and all that came with a divorce. But like Jesus, she never sent us away. But like Jesus, our burden, our desolate situation or circumstance, at that time, it became her own. And I can go on and on and on with, with stories like this in my own life, but I want you to know, as children of light, Jesus, he'll never leave us in desolate situations. Jesus 
chooses to stand with us, not only to be there, but also provide solutions for us. He doesn't allow us to figure things out on our own as the disciples were wanting to do, but he figures them out for us. And because of that, we too can sit down and relax and let them work. There's a flip side of this. Because as light of the world, our sisters and our brothers in Christ Jesus, their burdens should become ours as well. He doesn't expect for us to leave people, leave our family in desolate situations, but to be there. He doesn't expect for us to tell them to, to figure out it, figure out their solution. He expects us to bear with them. Well, who is this Jesus? Who is this man? They wondered at the beginning of this section. And although we know, because we've read, that a lot more maturity comes later on in the writing, but it seems as though they've gotten an answer to this question. Because Jesus asked them some questions. He first asked them, who do the people say that I am? And the people were filled with, with answers as to who they thought that he was. But then he says, who do you say I am? You, you 12 men who have been with me for quite some time now, you have heard the teachings, you have learned the lessons, you have seen the miracles, you have taught the lessons and have performed the miracles. Who do you say that I am? As we close out, I would like to ask the elders and, and ministers and, and leaders to go to your places as I round up. But as I round up, I want to leave you this very question. In your own lives, in your own walks, in your own journeys, who do you say that he is? Yes, the mouth can confess all of these great things and elaborate answers, but in your heart, who is this man to you? Does your heart believe that he is fearless and willing to step into any part of your life, to cast out any darkness, any shame, any embarrassment or burdens you may carry? Does your heart believe that? Does your heart believe that there is no issue too big or, or too small when it concerns you? Is your heart convinced that no matter his workload and how heavy it may be, no matter what time of day 
or night, you call on him. You believe that he cares for you and is eager, eager to show you that. Finally, does your heart believe that he will never leave you in desolate places? That he wants to be with you. He, he wants to provide for you. And he expects us as light of the world to bear the burdens of others. Well, Peter seems to have reached his conclusion. As Brian will most likely discuss in the coming weeks. But my question again is who is this man to you? God bless.